Let's pray together. Lord God, I I praise you that uh, you have given us amazing grace. And even as we sing the songs like Through Many Dangers, Toils, and Snares, we've already come. Lord, help us to remember that uh, you are God throughout history that has provided for us, has given us a covenant to serve you and love you. And I just pray that we would experience you in, in unique and special ways this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, this summer I had a chance to go on a sabbatical. And I would like to um, publicly thank you guys as a congregation for your investment in my life, uh, in my ministry, um, in my family. Uh, we had the opportunity to spend a month in uh, traveling through the country with uh, my family. And we visited different churches and listened to a lot of books on CD and um, just spent a lot of quality time as a family. And, and throughout the trip, my wife and I kept commenting about how that just as a once-in-a-lifetime kind of concept that um, you guys blessed us with. And I really uh, am appreciative of that. Um, but as we traveled, um, we traveled west and we went to places that, uh, like California and the Grand Canyon and um, Colorado. And so as with any good trip, you know, you have pictures. And so I thought I would bring some to share with you this morning. And so um, you'll see up on the screen that, um, first of all, we went to Colorado and spent some time with Delana's family. My wife is Delana. And uh, her dad is a pastor and they were there for a conference in Colorado. So that's uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, uh, Delana's brother and sister-in-law and the cousins that are kind of the same age as our, our kids. Um, and then you'll see we went to, um, uh, we also did a little swimming, and so I have a picture of me swimming. And Oh, sorry. <laughs> Apparently there's some notes problems here or something. But Actually, that's a walrus. I don't know if you've ever seen a walrus. It is gigantic. I stood there for literally about 10 minutes thinking, look at the size of that thing. So I was amazed by the walrus. Um, and then we went to San Francisco, so I took a picture of myself and the family. And that's me taking the picture, so not a bad shot, I thought. Um, then we went and saw some redwoods. Um, this is a redwood that fell over 300 years ago. Look at the size of that root system. And so the redwoods were an amazing, amazing feat. And that may, may or may not make the next sermon you hear me preach. But um, that fell over 300 years ago. But apparently there's nothing in redwoods that are that, is that attractive to bugs. And so insects and stuff don't like redwoods because there's nothing there for them. And obviously that's well beyond my expertise, but uh, 300 years that thing's been laying there uh, with that big old root system there. Um, and imagine the, spending, the stress of spending so much time in the car, eventually got to the kids, and uh, we see that impact on my son, Ben. <laughs> and he was excited to have that picture shown today, so he loves that. Well, our family took a journey this summer, and I would suggest that our church also began a journey this summer. Uh, we began a journey of looking for a new senior pastor. We began a journey of asking questions of where does God want us in the future? Of asking to ourselves, how can we serve God? And if you're not from our church this morning, you're just visiting with us, we'd love for you to join us in this journey. Uh, if you're just visiting and you have a home church, uh, I think the principles we're going to talk about today uh, apply to many different situations. But I want to talk specifically about what does that journey look like in our church? And as we process some of the realities of the journey that we're on as a church, I think there are some lessons of what that journey looks like that we can learn from the life of Abraham and the call that God had for him. So we're going to look at Genesis starting in verse, uh, chapter 11 today. Uh, it's page 10 in your pew Bible if you want to pull out the little black Bible in front of you. Um, and as usual with my sermons, um, God or, or, orders his word different than my sermons. And so we'll be jumping around a little bit to uh, pick up points throughout Genesis. 
And uh, Genesis, the story of Abraham is way too large. So we will um, pick out little pieces, and I'd really encourage you to, to go home and read uh, Genesis starting in verse 11, or chapter 11, and it goes through uh, early 20s there, um, if you want to hear the whole story of, Je- of Abraham. But starting in Genesis 11:31, right at the end of chapter 11, Terah took his son Abram, and if you're not, sorry, I'll just stop here for a second. If you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, um, Abram is his original name, and God changes it to Abraham later in the story. So as you read Abram and Abraham, it's the same guy. And Sarai is the wife, and, and which God changes her name to Sarah. So as we read it, this is before God changed their names. But um, So starting in verse 31 again. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I think if we're going to go on a journey, there are certain areas that we need to be aware of, that, that I think we can learn from Abraham's journey. And the first thing I think we need to be concerned about on the journey is the dangers of the journey. Um, I think if you look at uh, 31 there, it says, they took off from the Ur of Chaldeans and stopped in Haran. Well, Haran is not in Canaan. And if you look, it's not as clear there, but in Genesis 15, it says, in verse 7, it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. And also in Hebrews 11, I think, is the chapter where they say, God says, you know, I, pulled, I took you out of Ur. And so as much as the, the last chapter 11 isn't real clear, clear that God called him from there, I think other verses in the Bible tell us when he was living in Ur, he call, God called them and said, go to Canaan. And they stopped in Haran. Well, I think one of the dangers of the journey, and we don't know this necessarily, but my assumption in this situation is they got to somewhere that they liked and they decided to stay there. And then later we'll look at the fact that they continued that trip. And I think one of the dangers of a journey is you look at something and you decide, well, this is better than what I got. I'm going to stop here instead of continuing to a destination. And so I think as we look at a journey, where are we going? I think it would be a real temptation for us as a church to say, well, look, at we're moving down the road. We're healthier than we were before. Or we have, you know, neat ministries that are growing or starting or our money is better than it is or those kind of things and decide, look at how God has blessed us. Let's stop here. And as much as for us, it's not going to be a region as much as it's going to be an attitude. I would challenge us to say, we'll talk about what is the destination that God has for us. And not be distracted by somewhere along the road that says, boy, this is better than what we have. Let's stop here. But to be faithful and continue. I think another thing we need to be careful of is the power of sin. And I'm not, I don't have time to read all the verses today, but in chapter 12 and chapter 20, Abraham does almost the identical thing. Here he has come from a, a uh, position where God said, I'm calling you. I'm going to lead you. Go there. And they go. And Abraham runs into two situations where he's in another country and he says to his wife, you are a beautiful woman. When we go to Egypt or when we go see Abimelech, um, the two different times, um, people are going to say, you are beautiful. Let's kill Abraham and take his wife. So what if you call yourself my sister and that will protect me? And it's fascinating that Abraham does that two different times 
in dealing with dealing with that, with the situation where he feels threatened for his life. And I get kind of arrogant when they read verses like that because I picture this as, as Abraham is a person that God is appearing to. Uh, later, God calls him his prophet. He is experiencing God like many of us will never experience. And yet he gets in situations where he's going to go into another land and feel threatened. And suddenly he decides, let's use my wisdom instead of God's protection. And let's lie to protect myself. And two different times he does that. And two different times God comes to that, those people and say, you're in trouble. You're messing with my prophet. And they go, look, we, we didn't even do anything. We don't even, he said he was her sister. And, and then Abraham tries to pretend it's, you know, she technically is my sister and those kind of things. And I look at that and I say, how can somebody that God speaks to so directly when he gets in hazardous times turn to his own wisdom and his own wiles? And the problem with that is we do the exact same thing. We have God's word. We have a church and a community of believers here that encourages us and leads us. And you can come each Sunday and hear people talk about how do we follow God. And we still get in situations where we think my wisdom is better than God's protection. And so the dangers, I think, are, uh, that we will face along the journey is setting out and set, settling for something less than God's best. And if we look at Abraham's life, he sinned even as he was following God. And I think we're gonna, we will struggle with that as well. And so I want to challenge us as we are on this journey to look at that and say, how do we deal with that? This week I went out to lunch with a person from our church, and we were talking about the um, Everyman's Battle. Um, every man's battle is just a focus on, on purity and specifically sexual issues in our culture that's so sexually charged. And, and specifically for men, how do we um, seek purity in our relationships and how do we follow God uh, and be obedient to him? And as we were talking about that, he was telling me really what it is. It's about dealing with sin. And it's confessing and being honest with our sin and confessing it to God and acknowledging we are sinful. Well, Crystal Free used to do that, and they're not doing it this year, so they're bringing it to our church um, later this fall. And as I was talking about it, he said, the amazing thing to me is as we talk about purity and focus and confession of sin, it's how closely related things like anger are and pride and workaholism. And as we start to confess our sin and deal with sin honestly, he quoted a number of other people and said, they all were saying, as I started dealing with this, I realized, you know, I had a good relationship with God. Some people even were serving in the church, were doing all these things. But until we confessed our sin, we didn't realize that we didn't have a very good relationship with God. And my relationship with God is never better now than it has been because I'm dealing with my sin. And boy, as a church, I think that's a challenge. If we look at Abraham, who a guy who God appears to 11 times um, or speaks to, sends angels to communicate with um, throughout Genesis, if he can t- fall back on his own strength and his own wiles, that, that puts up a huge caution for us to say, how do we deal with this openly and honestly, and how do we deal with the power of sin in our life? And so in addition to the power of sin and settling for something that looks good that, that are kind of the dangers of the journey, I think we need a direction for the journey. Um, and for my journey, I, you know, when I, we went to California, we literally brought, brought this many maps. We have a little camp book that gives us all the camping places in uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, North, South Dakota. We had one of the, for each state we went in. And we brought a book, big book like this called The Next Exit. I don't know if you guys have seen this book. It is fabulous. It is that every, every uh, interstate in the country will tell you what is at every exit. So if I'm on Interstate 85 in North Carolina, 
On exit 27, there's a Sitco station, there's an Exxon Diesel, there's Arby's Burger King, Captain Seafood, Domino's. It goes on and on and on. Now, if you're in Nebraska, for instance, it'll say exit 100, no services. 101, no services. <laughs> but the beauty of that, then, is you know, 160 has a McDonald's and a Burger King and a grocery store. And so, you know, it's 60 miles till I get to something where I can stop. So what happens is you don't end up pulling off on places where you feel like, I don't know, is this going to have anything I need? And so I, we have all those resources with us, available to us to give us direction for the journey. And Abraham got, had God talking to him continually. And let's look at that in chapter um, 12, 1 through 8. And we read a couple of these verses already, but I want to read them again. And that's page 11 on the Pew Bible if you're looking for that. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham laughed as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And for those of you that think that's old, he was 100 when he had a baby. So he's a youngster at this point. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah and Shechem, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And so if we look at direction for the journey, God is, is appearing to Abraham and saying, this is where I want you to go. You go to the land, I will show you. And so he didn't need any AAA maps or the next exit book. He had God who would show up and go, okay, this next exit, just veer off here and stop there for a while. And set up a t- uh, temple or an altar or whatever. Altar would be the official word there. Um, set up an altar and worship me. And so what hope do we have as a people? What directions do we, can we have on our journey? Because God isn't appearing to very many people today. But he has given us his word, the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit to direct us and challenge us and hold us accountable and encourage us. And I think the most powerful thing in our direction for, prayer, uh, for this journey is prayer. Because really, all Abraham was doing is communicating with God. And that's all prayer is. And I like to spend a little time talking about this today because my guess is that most of you um, are not sitting here thinking, I'm a prayer warrior. I know exactly what he's talking about. Because I think our temptation is, we have gone through this senior pastor change before. Many of you were here, as I was, when John Vauder left and George Kenworthy came. And it would be easy for me and for us to say, well, last time we just did steps 1 through 10, and we got George. We had other pastors come in, but we really struggled with, well, that just didn't feel like that was God's call for that. But George came, and we felt like that was a connection, and God had brought him here. And he was a great pastor for us for 13-plus years. Well, it would be easy for me to say, okay, let's, we'll just do steps 1 through 10. We'll get a new pastor. Maybe. But what if God wants us to skip a couple steps? Or change a couple steps. What if God has used George to bring us to the place that we are, and now he wants to bring in somebody for a new direction? So our temptation is to say, we've been here before. What's the problem? 
And yet, when we're going on this journey, we want the directions have to come from God. And so I brought an illustration this morning, as many of you knew I would. Um, any guesses on what this is? If, if you're not in high school and have seen this illustration before, anybody? Anybody now? It's a bike rack. Hello? <laughs> you guys need a little more coffee this morning. Clearly, it's a bike rack. Because you set it here, and, and you just roll your bike and park it right into there. And so the beauty of that is I was struggling with a situation. I have two, two children that uh, ride bikes now. And so if you've seen kids ride bikes, they just ride, and they, it's kind of one maneuver as they walk off, and their bike just falls, and they walk away. It was driving me crazy. So I said, I need a bike rack. And I thought, where do I get a bike rack? And the kid who suggested, I don't know, steal one from Cub, that wasn't a good idea for him. And so I set out and I thought, um, I need to get find a bike rack. And I thought, you know, I bet I could build one of those. And for the numbers of people that may be here that have worked in my house or, or heard me talk about that, you know I, I'm not a craftsman. I'm not handy at all. Okay? And I see many of you laughing out there because you've been in my house and seen me work. But there are things that I do well. I, I can stand up in front of people and talk for a long, long time. And apparently that's the first number one fear of people. It's so hard about this. I just get up and say some stuff. This is easy. That is hard. And so if you look at that, I saw, but I am logical. And I thought, you know what? Really what I need is some slots to, for that bike to stand up in. And so I started with this bottom piece. I don't know if you can see it. It's a shelving unit that's all one piece. And so that was left over from the shelf that I put in the, my, um, the shelving unit I put in my garage. So I thought, well, that would give it some sturdiness because it's got to be able to stand up. This top piece and the bottom piece are uh, wainscoting for my, my bathroom that we redid last year. And then the green-treated ones are studs from the bathroom wall. The other two are some board that came out of our house. We didn't need it. I don't remember why. And this last nice piece of brown wood in the front is from a 100-year-old piano we happened to be taking apart so we could throw it away. And so I kind of set out without a plan necessarily, but it came together quite nicely. And the reality of that is the function of this bike rack is great. They can wheel their bikes and stick them right into there, and, it's, and it stands up. It does what it's supposed to do. And if you've got a nice, shiny bike rack from a company that actually knew what they were doing and put it next to there, that might be a more attractive-looking thing, but the function would be exactly the same. In fact, I would argue my function might be a little more significant because I have these little screws up here that hold bike helmets. Yeah, yeah thank you. That was my idea. And so when I look at prayer and direction, I think one of our struggles is we sit and say, I'm not a prayer warrior. I don't even know how to do that. But prayer is not about how great it looks. Prayer is about function. The function of prayer is for us to communicate with God. For us to come to God and say, God, I need to talk to you because I have sin and I'm struggling and I need direction for this, this journey. And, you know, we have kids in our youth ministry. Dan Jacobson, who, I don't know if Jan is here today, but uh, Dan Jacobson is a student that grew up in our high school ministry. And that guy could pray like no other. And when he, got, when he started praying, he could have been screwing around and doing whatever the minute before. And we would start to pray as a group. And Dan would pray, and great things would happen. And I was always amazed from early, early on that Dan had a, some sort of connection with prayer that I just didn't have. 
Now, as a youth pastor, that could be a little intimidating because you're not supposed to be the one going, boy, look at that ninth grader. That kid knows how to pray. He could teach me some things. And yet, for whatever reason, some of us have a better connection with prayer. Some of us, when we look at our prayer, is not a piece of garbage bike rack. It's the fancy, incredible one that's, that's well made. And even for Dan Jacobson, he has now took his new wife down, to, um, down south to go to a place called International House of Prayer. And when he came to talk to me about it, he, we asked him, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray. He said, we, minimum of 20 hours a week, we're praying. 20 hours a week? I love prayer, and I love God. That would be hard for me. And they have a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week schedule that they're praying, and they're praying for revival, and they're praying for our country and our churches and our young people. And he's giving his life to pray. If you look at Dan Jacobson, it's easy to see that's the fancy, incredible bike rack. Because he has something, when I look at that, I go, that is great. Most of us, however, I would guess our prayer is something more similar to this. And so when you hear somebody standing up here and say, we got to pray, it's not in a superficial way to, hey, let's promote ourselves. It's that we got to communicate with God because we need some direction in our life and in our church and in our body of believers in our community. And too often we come and we say, but this is what my prayer life looks like. So, the function of this is exactly the same as the function of the nice one. The function of your prayer, if you stumble through it, is exactly the same as the function of Dan Jacobson's prayer. And all God is coming to us and saying, I want to communicate with you. The goal and the function of prayer is a relationship with God. And if you don't know how to do that, there's some resources available. You'll see in the bulletin on a regular basis, we have discipleship available. Uh, Jim Taylor is a man who coordinates that. Give Jim a call. We have small groups. We have different things. We have mentors that you can come and say, teach me to pray. There are passages in the Bible where the disciples ask Jesus, you know, teach us how to pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So there's plenty of resources for you to improve that. But don't be discouraged by that's where I'm starting. Because if I'm coming to God and I want to communicate and I want to say, what does that look like in my life? Then the function is we have to be, it's about a relationship with God. And so at some point you got to say, God, you're awesome. The, the words we sang today is all about, God, you're an awesome God. You're significant. Um, at some point you need to confess sin and say, God, I, I'm messing up. I don't know what to do with all this. And at some point we need to say, thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given us for the way that you've taken care of. And at some point, we pray for other things, like help us in our journey, pray for people that are sick, help us to be more patient with people, all those kind of things. And if your prayer life looks like this piece of garbage bike rack, God doesn't care. The purpose and the function of this bike rack is the same exact purpose and function of a fancy, nice one. The purpose of your prayer is exactly the same as Dan Jacobson's prayer, who's giving 20 hours a week to pray. It's about communicating with God. And if we want directions for this journey as a church, then we need to be a body of believers that pray together and, and individually. And you'll notice that's why in your bulletin today, we, um, a number of us got together last Sunday night and prayed as a corporate body um, for the school year and for the, the ministries that we're starting up, for the direction of our church in the future. And so that's why we shared that with you this morning, because if we are going to get direction from God on the journey that we are on, we need to pray. 
And I'm not interested in people going, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. Well, either learn how to do that, come and ask us about that, or quit picturing your prayer life as the nice, sweet, fancy one that I have to be a prayer warrior. I can't pray like Dan Jacobson. Because, you know, I still can't pray like Dan Jacobson. And I've known him a long time. And I've learned from him, and I still can't do it. But that is one of my huge values. And I'm not standing up here today as an expert in that. That's a challenge for me. But it doesn't have to be spectacular. Um, my son Ben is 10 now, and we were at Disneyland in, in California. You might have heard of it. It's a place we stopped. We got kids. And we had, we had this insider's guide to Disney, and so we, we just were efficient, and we came in. We, stayed, we came at 8 o'clock in the morning, left at 11 p.m. We maximized our Disneyland experience because we were only paying for one day, and I wanted to get as much out of it as we could. And we had everything worked like clockwork, except this Matador ride that was a roller coaster. We couldn't squeeze it in because the line was just too long and we didn't really have time to wait. And so throughout the day, I said, well, let's wait for lunchtime. Maybe people go have lunch and the line will be shorter. No. And let's wait till the, the fireworks. And then, you know, maybe people go set up for the fireworks and, and no, it's still online. So we came and thought, okay, our last chance is between the fireworks and the laser show. Because the laser show closes the thing. And, you know, people will be all over. We show up and it's just booked. It's just lines forever. And I turned to Ben and I said, Ben, we're not going to be able to do it. And he said, no, we can't. I'm sure of it all. As kids may be likely to do. And I said, okay, you got 15 minutes. Because we got 15 minutes till we need to stand over there. And so we'll stand in line, but at 15 minutes we're leaving, whether we're there or not. Okay, yeah, it'll be no problem. It'll be no problem. And, you know, that was going to be a teaching time for me as a, as a parent to educate my son. Fifteen minutes later, I was standing there putting my foot in that car. And I said, Ben, we made it. And his response was, that's because prayer works. I prayed about it. <laughs> and I thought, you little weasel, you cheated. <laughs> but even the other day, he was downstairs with a friend, and they were calling the friend's mom to see if he could, she could stay longer. And... Um, and I heard Ben say, yes, two more hours. I knew it. I prayed about it. And you know what? At this point, Ben's prayer life might look a lot more like this. Who cares? It's about communicating with God. It's about understanding who God is. And you don't think God worries about this stuff or loves this stuff or is concerned about this stuff. I walked into church this morning. And people always say, say things to me, encouraging me as I go in. And they see me in a tie and realize, oh, Mike's preaching. And so when I come in, four different people, guess what they said to me? The first four people I saw, I prayed for you today. Now, people have told me that before. A lot of times afterward they say, hey, you did a nice job. I was praying for you, those kind of things. So that's not unusual. But the first four people... Didn't say, hey, how's it going? Hey, how was your sabbatical? Hey, it's nice to see you. Hey, I prayed for you this morning. Which either needs, I need a lot of help. Or, or God is really working in our church to challenge us to pray. And boy, we need direction in this journey. Because we can't just do it the way we, we've done it before. We can't just do it how we think it will work. We've got to do it the way God wants it to do it. And the purpose of prayer is not to be pretty, is not to be eloquent, the purpose of prayer is to communicate with God. And closely related to that is the destination of the journey. Um, and if you've heard me preach before, I, I love the covenant um, that God talks about throughout the Old Testament. And I want to look at the covenant that he establishes with, with, um, with Abraham today. Because that, I think, talks about our destination. What is the destination of the journey? Where are we going to end up? 
And I think we need to end up with, with a covenant. So if you look at Genesis 15, we're just going to look at one verse there and then jump to chapter 17. But that's page 13 in your pew Bible. And Genesis 15, verse 18. Genesis 15:18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And then flipping to Genesis 17, which is over one page in your pew Bible, it's page 14, starting at the first verse of Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I, have made na- I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And throughout the Old Testament, the mentality is, I'm going to establish a covenant. I will be your God and you'll be my people. And I would argue that um, oftentimes when we look at the story of Abraham or the story of um, Moses and all the promises that God gives to the people of Israel over and over that you will take Canaan and you will take that land and that will be your land. Oftentimes we get confused, I think, because we think the promise is the region. And I heard a speaker a while ago say, it's not about a region, it's about a relationship. Because as part of the covenant, God is saying, I'm going to give you this land to inhabit. But it's not about the region, it's about the relationship. I'm going to do this because I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. And I think that that story goes um, even deeper as we look in things like um, the story of Isaac, which is in, we're not going to look at it this morning, but in Genesis 22, if you don't know the story, Isaac is promised as the continuation of this covenant. The promise that God has given to Abraham over and over and over again, you will be a father of many nations, and Isaac is that first piece. Because he was 100 years old before he had Isaac. He laughed when God told him that. His wife laughed when God told him that. Because I'm 100. I can't have a baby. And God said, you can and you will, and his name's going to be Isaac. And after they had that baby, God told Abraham, take Isaac and sacrifice him. Because the way you worship God in the Old Testament is you sacrificed um, things on an altar. And it took animals and stuff and, and had a sacrifice. That was your way of honoring God. And so he says, take this promise, take this person who is going to be the promise and the fulfillment of the covenant and sacrifice him. And he goes up and he, he lays, his, lays um, Isaac on the, on the altar. And then he says, and then he hears from heaven. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that story was always goofy to me. I just always thought, okay, how is God establishing this covenant and yet he has tests Abraham at the last minute to make sure he's fulfilling that. And then he stops him. And then I heard Phil Vischer is a man that uh, he created the VeggieTales uh, movies. I don't know how many of you are familiar with them. But um, basically he was a young man who had a couple thousand dollars or something. And he started this business and um, he started making movies. And when he was 12 years old, he started making movies and decided, I'm going to have an impact for God. 
my goal in life is to impact others for God. And I'm going to do it through movies. And he said, my goal is not to be rich or successful or famous or any of those things. I want to have an impact for God. And so he started this VeggieTales company with just a couple thousand dollars. And the reason the vegetables don't have arms and legs is because he couldn't afford it. It's cheaper to make them without. So he set out to make this. He made vegetables with no arms and no legs, told stories about God, and it just took off. And he was getting letters from all over the world saying, you have impacted my relationship with God through these things. And so Phil Vischer said, you know, I went and I thought, you know, that's a great thing. Um, that's my goal. I'm going to do, do more impact for God. So he hired more and more people. He was up to a couple hundred people by the time it started to go bad. And what happened is he became, his um, animated series became the best-selling Christian animated series ever. And then pretty soon it became the best-selling animated series ever, which would have categories like Disney and movies like that. And so he was doing an incredible thing and very successful, and people were mentioning him as maybe the next Walt Disney, and it started to go bad. And so he got to the point where he was losing. He had to fire some people, lay off some people, and do some realignment. And he got, he got to the point where he said, you know what, God, if my, the next movie we put out is supposed to do this much sales, but if it would just do this much sales, we could still make it, and you could do that for us. But he didn't. And then the next movie would come along. God, if you could just do, I know it's supposed to sell this much, but if we could just sell this much, I could still survive and we could still make it and continue to impact people for you. And you can do that, God. And he didn't. And then they got sued by a guy for a verbal agreement that he said they they felt like they had lied to them. And he said, we didn't. We were in the right. So they went to court. And he sat there day after day saying, God, if you would get us out of this, I could still save the company. And you can do that for us. And he didn't. And he said the judge believed the other guy and gave them everything they were asking for and more. And, and uh, VeggieTales had to declare bankruptcy. And he lost the company. And so here is this company that he has developed forever, from the beginning. He does the vast majority of voices. And he's at the point where he's saying, okay, God, this is done. Why did you take away the impact that I have for you? And he went to his office. He had a little office down the street from his house, and he went and he said, I prayed and I read the word and I thought, and bawled his head off, I'm sure, because this, this dream of his had been taken away. And he said, God, why did you take away the impact that I'm having for you? People are telling me, you are bringing me closer to God, and now it's dead. And then he quoted this, this passage with Isaac, where God said, Abraham, go do this. Take Isaac and sacrifice him. And his thing, the statement he made really stuck with me. He said, you can't have the greatest impact for God if your goal is the impact for God. You, can't, you have the greatest impact for God when your goal is a relationship with God. And I think that's an incredibly deep statement to understand what is our destination of our journey. For each of us individually as well as a church. Because it's so easy to say, my goal is impacting people for God. And we're not going to have the best impact for God if our goal is impact for God. We're going to have the greatest impact for God if our goal is a relationship with God. And we can look at a church setting and use things like, you know, we want to grow and we want people to accept Christ. And we want to be a place that, um, you know, attracts kids and families and all of these things. And those things are good values to have. But if that is our ultimate goal, to be big or to be wealthy or to be... Um, well-respected, all of those things, 
I think, fall into that category of impact for God. If we want to have those things, we're never going to have those things if those things are our goal. We're never going to get to the destination God laid out for us because our destination is wrong. And we can say we have the greatest church in the world, but if it doesn't have a relationship with God, then we're wasting our time. And I think that enlightened me with the story of Isaac because God said, even the covenant I have given you, the promise I gave you, I want to be secondary to the fact that you understand I'm your God and you are my people. And so as we think about that, it's not about a region. It's about a relationship. It's not about having a great church. It's about a relationship. And if we have a relationship with God, God may bless us with a huge church. And he may not. God may bless us with ministries that people are attracted to for hundreds of miles. And he may not. Because that's not the destination. The destination is not to have an impact for God. It's to have a relationship with God. And so if we are on a journey as a church, then I think our focus should be avoiding the dangers of the journey. I think we've got to really avoid settling for less than God's destination because we like it there. We've got to avoid allowing the power of sin to rule in our life. We've got to deal with that um, effectively. And again, I'm up here saying I'm on that road. Because my prayer life looks a lot more like this piece of garbage one over here than it does the fancy brand new version. But we have to continue to say, are we looking for God for direction? And remember that the purpose of prayer is communication with God. And I think if we're focusing on our destination, the destination for our journey is living out God's covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray today that you will be our God and we will be your people. That you will teach us what that looks like. That you will break us where we need to be broken. Where you will encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And may we as a community of believers seek you with all our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen.